Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. I'm Justin, and as always, I am joined by... Here's Beth! Houndoom Sam! And I'm Caleb. I have a prediction. Okay, what it's is your prediction? Soundboard. <laughs> <laughs> Caleb has individually recorded the words and I'm and Caleb in dozens of different takes and is just splicing them together. Yes. That's actually brilliant, and I hope you're correct. <laughs> you are not correct. However, you have given me a wonderful idea. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> We're building podcast bits live on the podcast. <laughs> you get to see it happen. <laughs> if you do get to see it happen, I'm concerned. Get out of my house. Everyone is seeing it happen. They're all here. That's a Patreon exclusive. <laughs> Cameras uh, while we record. Yeah, we are uh, hitting another interlude section in The Way of Kings, which means we get to go all over Roshar and meet all sorts of weird people. Oh, yeah. And, and then we get to check back in with some people who we haven't seen in a while, but supposedly a third of this book is about. <laughs> seems fake but okay <laughs> yeah i feel like this set of interludes was even more kind of out there than the first set uh but i like them and then yeah we get to start part three we get to return to what shalon and yasna have been doing and we continue to see kaladin attempting to uh, do some good with bridge four yeah it's there are more out there they're a little less i i would say juicy than the first set um because we got our very big uh off-worlder reveal in in the first set of interludes uh and i'm looking now i don't remember what the second one was oh yeah it was not a lot so like that gave us more insight <laughs> into shallan right um and these ones feel a lot more like, hey, this might not be like relevant, relevant, but it's just kind of fun. And I also quite like them. <laughs> we're, we're taking a little tour. Yeah. I like them better than the first three, actually. Okay. I know yeah. you were, uh, I know you, you've mentioned that you want the, like the off world stuff to just be kind of fun cameos. So if we are just like taking a look around Roshar, then let's take a look around Roshar. Yeah, And we can start uh, taking a look around Roshar in the weirdest place on Roshar, apparently. We're going to <laughs> Shinovar. A.K.A. Earth. The place that just looks like Earth. A grass and <laughs> soil and no spren? God, that's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, we are starting with uh, Risen. And I have established that I am a big fan of all the Thalen names and the fact that in-world people think they're hard to pronounce. Risen is not too bad. Uh, her master, Vistim, is a little bit more out there. But I like both of them. <laughs> they're both pronounceable. They're just annoying to pronounce. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I know how to say your name. I just don't want to. <laughs> but yeah, they are part of a, uh, I guess, a trading caravan. Uh, which Vistim is in charge of. And they have come all the way to Shinovar to uh, to do some trade. And Risen is a, I guess, an apprentice of sorts and is is trying to learn, I guess, the trade uh, from Vistim. 
And uh, the first thing that she has to learn is what is what is going on here in Shinovar, which, like we said, <laughs> is it just feels like Earth. There's grass. There's dirt. What a concept. <laughs> can I can I bring up my ledger thing real quick? <laughs> yes. Yes, you can. This bothered Sam considerably. <laughs> it bothered me a lot because I, I used to work in an archive with actual hundred year old ledgers. Um ledgers go ahead, just Google antique ledger, I guess, for listener. Uh ledgers back in the day were like the size of like a small car. <laughs> <laughs> not literally, but they were enormous fucking things, and he's not just holding one, he's holding a set of ledgers with one hand. This man has iron grip. <laughs> I like to think it's not a grip, he's like balancing them like a fancy waiter, uh, just holding oh. them like above his head. <laughs> could be, could <laughs> a little, little unwieldy, but sure. Yeah. Anyway, I rudely interrupted Beth. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've forgotten what I was going to say earlier, but I bet it was as asinine as what I'm about to say, which is that uh, we have a stack of ledgers in a show that I regularly do. Yeah, I was going to bring was... this up. <laughs> yeah, I was, me and Caleb and my roommate were watching the, the pro shot of the musical Newsies, which is excellent, by the way, go watch it. And they use a double of the same ledger that I have in my show, and I had to pause the entire movie and yell about ledgers for like five minutes. This is the kind of thing that that being in charge of the props does to you. It ruins you. And to Sam's credit, it is a chonky book that prop is. Yeah. It's true. Ledgers are big. We can confirm the theater community stands with Sam. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we have uh, this uh, this group of, of Thalen merchants. Uh, who has arrived here in the the far off lands of of Shinovar. So we have kind of two outsider perspectives here because we've we've met a couple of Thalans, but we've seen it is a a pretty distinct culture compared to the Alethi and Vaden characters that we've been following the rest of the time. Uh, so we we see their uh, you know their their clothes, their uh, traditions, and all that. And then we we meet some some Shin traders in a little bit as well, and we get to we get to know them. Uh, but before they arrive, uh, we have a neat machine that is a uh, uh, it's a it's like a radar. It's a hey, people are approaching. A, a proximity alarm. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> you can. Just but like they spend a while setting it up, like a while setting it up. And it's just to let them know when the guy is getting close. It is, it is funny that he's like, it seems like it's for like, oh yeah, to be careful for intruders. And it immediately goes, hey, there's someone here. And he goes, yeah, that's fine. And we, yeah, we knew they were coming. <laughs> At least Risen agrees with you. She's like, <laughs> why is this important? Yeah. And uh, Vistim is, is talking about how this was kind of a test run of sorts of you know, next time we can set this up in the middle of nowhere at night and maybe we won't get ambushed, but now we know it works. So, yeah, neat uh, gem-powered kind of magical machinery. Yeah, they also, I believe they just call it a Fabriel at one point, which, like, we're halfway through the book. How does soul casting work? We haven't got, like, any explanation <laughs> for any of the magic systems in this book. 
aside from like a little bit about shard plate and shard blades we're we're really waiting on getting our hey audience surrogate here's how things actually work it's wild yeah definitely a a contrast from both of the other series that we've uh, we've been through so far Kelsier, please give me a tutorial. I'm begging yeah. you. Uh, so we we have been alerted of the arrival of the the Shin caravan, uh, and this is Thresh Sun Isan, who is here to uh, to do some business. Uh, and Risen is is looking at the the group that has arrived and is trying to figure out, you know, who are the important ones. Uh, and we learned that everything is is topsy turvy here in in Shinovar, where uh, the warriors are are the the lowest and most unimportant of of people in Shin society, and the farmers who you know make food for people to eat, are actually well respected and 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 praised for their for their position. So everything is so strange here. <laughs> yeah. And they're all dressed like it's Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> <laughs> that was just what popped in my head because it's like it's described as like a long, colorful robe. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, all right, yeah, sure. That was uh, when Sam and I were on a high school theater crew. That was the first musical we did. Uh, one of my friends who was in the show, uh, whenever they when when they were doing the song that just lists all of the colors in Joseph's coat. Whenever they forgot the list, which is a list of like forty colors all in a row, would just start saying blue over and over and over again. <laughs> That's what we call a pro gamer move in the biz. Now I have to ask because I've never actually seen the show Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, but mm-hmm. I know the story of Joseph in the Bible. Yes, ledgers are very important to Joseph's story. Did you guys use any ledger props in that show? I don't think we did. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> It is uh, perhaps not the the most accurate depiction of a, a biblical history. What? <laughs> Second only to Jesus Christ Superstar in its musical authenticity. I don't even. I, I haven't seen either show actually. I don't even know if it's second to. I, I from what I know, there's like specific details in Jesus Christ Superstar of like, yeah, that's that's actually in the Bible. That's in there. There's also the secret third option of Godspell. Uh, I've heard much, no little. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we have uh, we have some some commerce to do. Uh, there's a, a negotiation for trade, uh, and uh, like everything else that that Risen is experiencing here, it seems all backwards. Uh, she she has worked with Vistim for a while and notes that he is is usually one to to drive a pretty hard bargain of, you know, really dig in in the d- negotiations. Uh, but uh, what we have here is Vistim is is basically, uh, she says it's it's like he's trying to give this stuff away. You know, he's he's talking about how easy it was for him to acquire this and how nobody really needs it. And so he'd be happy to bring it here to Shinovar. Uh, it's also interesting what the the trade good in particular is, uh, it is random scraps of metal, uh, and they they were obtained from ardents practicing with soulcasters. They were changing bits of other stuff into metal to get their practice in, 
And they've brought this to Shinovar because it is metal that has not come from stone, which to the Shin is uh, is quite significant. So it's a it's a very strange negotiation here. God, I it's love such, that detail. It's such a good piece of world building. It's, it's so, so good. Because we've we've heard bits and pieces from Zeth's POV about stone being sacred. And I just didn't follow the logic there until it is handed to me here of like, oh, yeah, I guess if you can't even walk on the stone, like mining would be great, great blasphemy. That makes total sense. And you also have a completely separate world building element of like, yeah, there's people who turn shit and other shit all the time. So, yeah, they're going to have scraps of metal lying around. It's it's yeah. such a really good connection of dots that I think works really well. Yeah, I, I love it as well. I don't have specifics. I do have specifics about the fact that I think it's weird that he had five notaries verify <laughs> that it was soul cast from garbage. I... I guess wouldn't shouldn't one notary be sufficient? Like if it's not, what was the point of the notary? It's uh, like the, the they're not even rendering a, an opinion like notaries. They just are like, "Yep, I saw this." Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Five people saw us take this trash and turn it into <laughs> different trash. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I'm just going to keep talking about Christmas Carol props today, because we realized this year there's a scene in the horrible future where the Undertaker is like, I stole all of this stuff from Scrooge's body. Here, have a pencil case and two seals. And we were like, did he just have all of that in bed with him when he was dying? Did he have two seals on him at all times in case he needed to notarize two things (laughs) in an emergency? Maybe doing work in bed, I don't know. (laughs) It's actually not out of the question. Yeah. Uh, the other end of the trade, uh, apparently a, a very common part of the, the Shinovar trade route is uh, horses. I believe we had heard mentioned before that uh, Shin horses were well regarded, uh, but Vistim is not here for horses because they take a lot of work to care for. Uh, he wants some chickens. Much, uh, much easier tr- to transport. Mm-hmm. As the uh, negotiations are wrapping up, we do have a, uh, a bit of a connection here to some uh, much greater dealings in the world than this one trade route. Uh, because Vistim would like to trade for a, uh, a Shin soldier or a servant. And uh, uh, Thresh says we, we can't do that. Although apparently it did happen one time and it was one of the best deals that Vistim has ever has ever made. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've uh, we've seen a a truthless Shin who has been traded around a few times, and uh, that didn't go well for several people. Hmm. Best trade of my life. Hope he's doing well. I I was doing some some research to see because uh, I had a question when I was when I was rereading this. I don't think it's ever been answered, and now I want to ask Brandon if I have the chance whether thresh or vestim know what happened like i don't think they know i feel like thresh might because he has one needlessly ominous line of like but i do not think it likely we will have another like him indeed i should hope that we never do so like even if he didn't track like keep up to date on zeth news of like 
hey, Olefkar's king was murdered by a Shin guy with fancy powers. Right, that's Maybe my assumption. Maybe two and two together? I just kind of assumed that was Thresh going, yeah, we don't like Truthless. They're real bad. We don't like them. We want to get rid of them. And I hope I never have to interact with the Truthless again. I guess that's the other possibility. But yeah, I don't know. And I would like to know. Tell us your secrets, Brandon. But uh, with with that little tidbit for us out of the way, uh, it is it is time for the, the trade to, to wrap up. And Vistim and Rissen are going to pack up and head to the next part of their their trade route and uh, Vistim has a couple of questions and an assignment for Risen uh, with his his mentorship uh, he asks what did you learn about this trade uh, and her first reaction is just the shin are weird uh, but but he says no you need to dig deeper than that and she does have an answer she she explains what uh, what she learned in that this is kind of the, the Shin way of, of negotiating is you, you try to, to be humble and uh, kind of play down your, your hand. And the, the, the kind thing to do is to kind of reciprocate the other person's generosity. And that's how they negotiate here. So she did, she did learn a thing, even if she did uh, think it was all just very strange. This was great. I was all for this little combo here. Mm-hmm. Oh, except for, I mean, you know, the Shin or Odd, you know what he's asking. R- <laughs> risen. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that she does, like, come up with the the correct answer. Uh, and then there's a, uh, there's a task that she has, uh, which is to go get some Shin grass, uh, put it in a pot, and then take it with you and take care of it until you don't think it's odd anymore. And this is this is definitely like a little this is very like fantasy wise mentor where Risen has been set this this strange task and then like in a book about Risen, twenty chapters later she would have some realization that this that this grass had had shown her over time. Uh but this is an interlude, so we're going to see her here. She's gotten this this pot of grass and off they're going to go and we'll see if we ever run into them again. <laughs> Bastim is chill. I like that guy. Bastim is cool. Yeah. Kaladin tripped on a patch of grass on, his, <laughs> on the latest bridge run. <laughs> Who put this here? Because <laughs> the grass didn't move out of the way. I do like that that Risen repeatedly calls the grass stupid for not moving. <laughs> but yeah, that is uh that's the end of that interlude and uh off they go on on their journeys. So, we'll see uh, if if we run into them halfway across the world sometime. On to our next interlude. Uh we meet Axes the collector, who is a weird little guy. He's such a weird little guy. <laughs> I love this guy. Yeah, this is I think I've noticed this in a, a couple of places in Brandon's books, and I might have commented on it here where there's an interesting balance where you can, this is a fantasy world. Everything is, is strange and different here. Uh, but when we start in on, on this chapter and we, we meet axes and we see what's going on, this is weird for Stormlight. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how you convey that. 
like in a world where there's all these made up words and made up places and all that this is this is a level beyond that but uh, as we we join his story uh he is uh naked in an alley in a pile of garbage which is an auspicious start to the day uh and he's only slightly concerned about this like this is inconvenient but not a huge problem uh he has what i think is a very entertaining uh interaction with a uh a beggar who is has appointed himself in charge of this alleyway and has set up this whole like sprawling town made out of garbage and is now upset that axes has crushed part of the town i just this is just fun yeah and it also we're already in the middle of knowing like oh yeah things are really weird like we get the dialogue first of yeah man you destroyed multiple buildings last night and <laughs> for those of us who have no idea what's going on here we're like what who is this guy what happened and then we get the reveal of what that actually means and oh he like he, stepped on a potato <laughs> He stepped on a potato. He accidentally <laughs> crushed the uh, the house, but it's okay. The family was away in the temple that he also crushed. <laughs> My goodness, I uh, I missed that. I thought this was just a guy being fucking Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> like he he is blue and has weird morphing powers. He he is and he does. Yeah, he he didn't crush a literal city block. Nah. Okay. It's just a potato. Just yeah. a potato. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, uh, unfortunately for Axes, he does have a a weakness, which is the sacred cloth, uh, which this this beggar just happens to have on hand and throws this towel at him, and the uh, the foul beast is banished uh, and avoids public indecency charges because he now <laughs> has something to wear. I love this guy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like he's so weird but he's also like oh yeah i can i can i can play with this i'll play along with this guy i know how to how to get what i want and he'll be satisfied too like he's just he seems really friendly but in like a very specific bizarre way and i love it he's great so yeah having uh having left the alley here he is uh, they mentioned the city just a little bit ago. Uh, he's in Casator, which is a, a large Iriali city. Uh, and he, he's uh, here to go see some things. And uh, we learn that he is apparently a Sia Amian, uh, who are, are rare and are somewhat peculiar. They have uh, blue fingernails and very blue eyes. Uh, and their shadow goes the wrong way. Yo, what the fuck? It's wild. <laughs> and they can change the markings on their skin. Oh yeah, he's just tatted up, and he can change that at will too. Yeah. And I, I adore that he uses it to take notes. <laughs> that would be so useful. My memory's so bad. If I could just, if someone tells me something, I could just like write it on my knee. That would be great. <laughs> You can also write it down on paper. There's no time, Caleb. <laughs> well, Axis notes that this is convenient as he is regularly robbed of all his belongings. Yeah. <laughs> so, got to keep the notes somewhere. I was, uh, this is a, a bit of a tangent. I was once in a, uh, a, a tabletop RPG game where one of my friends wanted to to play someone who was 
magically influenced in various ways and one of the just like little quirks that they said was that their shadow was going to point the wrong way uh, and they they were saying that this wouldn't be like super obvious it would just be kind of one of those things that would like maybe it would catch your eye like if you thought about it later i pointed out there's a uh, there's a phenomenon uh, i think it's called lanai noon it's a thing in a particular part of hawaii uh lahaina noon that's it uh because it is it's the only place in america where the sun gets too directly overhead uh because it's close enough to the equator and so twice a year when the sun is literally dead overhead the sun shines exactly straight down and things don't cast shadows and it looks completely bizarre any like <laughs> If you see shadows that aren't behaving like they're supposed to, you will immediately notice it. It looks incredibly weird. <laughs> yeah, it it looks... This will probably go up on various social media because they look cool. It looks like a video game where the lighting has just bugged. <laughs> <laughs> Something is wrong here. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh my god, I'm going to look at all these photos after. I, I know, this is like a whole album to, to yeah. sort through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> tangent from this tangent before we go back to this book there's a solar eclipse coming up if it is at all possible for you to get into the path of the solar eclipse please go do it it is absolutely incredible we need to collaborate with like a hotel now or something because <laughs> we i feel like this is the 10th time you've brought that up uh the the hotels at least the place where i'm going to go see the eclipse have been booked solid for like six months Ha. But thanks to our code from our sponsor. <laughs> Call them and use it. And kick someone else out of their room, I yeah, guess. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Using code, there can be only one. Perfect. <laughs> so in this book, uh, what's Axie's doing here anyway? He's looking for Spren. And apparently has been doing this for quite some time. He's uh, He's been studying Spren... Uh, exhaustively now i gotta say he is way too happy and cheerful about doing it but axius gets so many points for finally being a character going what's what's what the fuck it's spren what is this what are you what is going on with these things yeah i thought i got it and then we see fucking the the water jet <laughs> yeah the, yeah that was the weird. goddess of the town yeah <laughs> Now my preconceptions are shattered. We also learn uh, the reason why he woke up naked in an alley uh, is because his previous topic of research had been uh, ale spren, as, as he decides to call them, uh, which he has been trying to track down uh, for several years uh, that apparently uh, appear when somebody is very drunk uh, and it's been quite a trick to actually track these down, partially because it's hard to tell if they actually exist or if they are just a drunken hallucination. <laughs> he also, like, he decides to call it ale spread and he mentions, well, that's because intoxication spread is too unwieldy. And, buddy, if this is the guy who was in charge of anticipation spread, I've got some words to pick <laughs> with you. Yeah. Kind of a long one. Hey, why not just do? Why not get somebody else drunk? Yeah, yeah. Do do they only appear to the person who is drunk? 
Well, yeah, and that's it's also interesting of like a lot of people can't seem to see Syl, so it seems like even who can see Spren changes depending on what kind of Spren it is. It's almost like the rules seem really inconsistent <laughs> so far. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he is he is now continuing his uh, uh, just his walk through this uh, this city in Erie. Uh, we note that uh, in in Erie, uh, the people there have golden hair. That is, it's not blonde. It's like actually like kind of lustrous gold. Uh, and I think this has been mentioned uh, at some point. Uh, Dalinar's kids are a small part Erie. And so Adolin has Alethi black hair with a, a streak of Eriali gold. So this is this is where they're from. Yeah, I wrote that down. I wasn't sure if I should put that in the theory section or if, or if we had talked about it. I think we have briefly mentioned that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a fun connection of them talking about golden hair and me going, oh, right, that's, that's, uh, Adeline's yeah. got that thing. Adeline's anime hair. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the big event here uh, is one, one particular event. Uh, it happens at precisely 7.46 in the morning. Uh, there is a giant water spren that uh, emerges from the bay. Uh, there's this this big like jet of water uh, with parts that that break out and and like touch down in very specific spots. Uh, they call it Kusakesh, the protector. Uh, some of them some of them worship it. Uh, it is it, it's just a thing that happens here. Uh, and and Axes says that there's there are some spren that it seems like there's only one of, and this is apparently one of them. Uh, and uh, he he has seen it now. He's got lots more questions, like what kind of spren is it? <laughs> and it it does this weird thing where it it transforms into a bunch of human faces, and then ten minutes later it just goes away. And that's the end of that. Are they like Pokemon? Is this a legendary Pokemon we're looking at? What, <laughs> what is this? Yeah, this is weird. <laughs> uh, we we end our our chapter in kind of a similar vein to how it began, uh, as some obnoxious kid uh, is running past and grabs the the towel that he has wraps around him, uh, and I love his reaction of just like oh. Guess I'm naked again. Are there guards around? Yeah, there's guards. Guess I'm gonna get arrested. <laughs> but up up. Yeah, and then we're done with this weird little guy. Yeah, he's only <laughs> gonna be doing this for a couple more centuries. Yeah. Couple more centuries of research, no big deal. What one, there's that many spren, and two, what the fuck? <laughs> What's your deal? If it's going to take him that long to figure out Spren, Caleb, you got a long road ahead of you. Yeah, I know. It's almost like it's impossible <laughs> to figure out how the rules work within a normal human lifetime. I have I actually did this inspired me just because I'm curious, knowing that there's like time jumps in the Cosmere sometimes, of what Cosmere characters have longevity that like we might be able to see over and over. Because I'm like... If he can live for centuries, maybe we'll see him way, way down the line. Um, 
I don't know if it's not related to any theories out of this episode. I don't know if people care about the list, but I did write down the list. I think we can uh, we can take a look at that at some point. Uh, I know bringing it back to one of my favorite topics, I've done that list for Mass Effect for which characters could show up in future games. Hmm. Hmm. Hey, there's cryo sleep. It could be anybody. Could. Commander Shepard. Commander Shepard is in almost all circumstances super dead. In almost all. <laughs> Except the right one. Except the objectively correct one, yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't, uh, if you're playing Mass Effect, don't, don't try to do a funny bit and shoot a, a child hologram. <laughs> you super did you do that, didn't you? Joke. I did. I thought it would be a hilarious joke to shoot at the hologram of the child and then it had narrative consequences. Ugh. Yeah, that Shepard won't be showing up in, in Mass Effect 4. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, we have one more interlude. Uh, it is our traditional one at this point. Uh, we check in on Seth. And it is perhaps an even worse time for him than it was last time. <laughs> Things couldn't possibly get worse. Oh no! <laughs> Things got worse. Uh, yeah, last we saw... Uh, Zeth's, uh, I guess, ownership had been had been transferred violently uh, to someone who had a little bit more of an idea of what you could do uh, with a an extremely dangerous uh, assassin who will do literally everything you say with a, a few tiny exceptions. Uh, and so uh, Makek, who is. Uh, kind of a, a like a small time crime lord but does have quite a bit of influence here has been uh ha has been moving up in the world thanks to uh the fact that he can just go tell zeth to kill anyone and zeth does thanks to moida that uh... good old-fashioned moida <laughs> yeah big ups to moida big ups <laughs> Now, let's be clear. Murder, no good. Moida, Moida. Is, is at least funny. <laughs> Speaking of being at least funny, this is not a good spot that we find Zeth in. It is very darkly funny that he is forced to wear the most weeb ninja costume that Maquette could oh, find. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> it, it is very, very funny to me that Zeth is 100% a ninja and also being Shin is basically the only white guy. <laughs> it's all very complicated. There's this character named Gojo, and you're you're him now. You just need to dress up as <laughs> that guy now. Uh, yeah, he is uh, wearing a, a tight black outfit. Uh, he's got a mask on. Uh, he is crouched on a small ledge up on the the wall so he can ominously loom there it is it is all very dramatic but yeah we are uh we're in a uh, kind of rundown gambling den there's uh, there's people uh betting which we've seen is not a thing you're supposed to do but here they are and there's even women with with safe hands bare it's scandalous scandal i fucking love the bets that they're putting i just i love what they're betting on they're not 
it's it's a sin. You don't want to insult the heralds by trying to guess the future. So instead, you try to predict the present. <laughs> it is very like there are definitely real world traditions of like trying to find loopholes in religious commandments which seems kind of odd but like there are there are traditions where that's just the thing that you do and yeah in in voranism you absolutely do not try to predict the future and so they're not betting on who wins the game they're just playing the game and also betting on what hand they currently have which has not been <laughs> revealed yet completely legally distinct I was very strongly reminded of the scene in Vegas Vacation where they go to the, the different kind of casino where they're playing war or rock, paper, scissors or coin toss or guess which hand or pick a number. It's like it feels like there's there's a house advantage here, maybe. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't know what they're doing. Right. <laughs> I just know that some people are losing money and others are gaining money. As always, the true villain is capitalism. <laughs> Uh, also in this establishment, we have uh, shallow crab fights, which uh, sound sound fascinating. Is it just a very flat crab? What is I, it? I think it must be. <laughs> I, I assumed it was a crab you find in shallow waters. That's probably more correct. Yeah, that makes more sense. Uh, there's also uh, some people using fire moss, uh, which is a... Uh, a, a type of moss uh you you rub it uh between your fingers and it heats up and it starts to smoke and it is apparently uh somewhat uh of a drug here and so you've you've got people doing weird fantasy drugs but yeah zeth is is here just lurking and being dramatic uh we we find out that of the the gang of people that we saw at the very end of the uh, the last interlude, uh, all of them are dead except Macaque. Zeth killed them all, so the uh, the secret of how Macaque has this this control is is now safe, and it's uh, it's time for uh, an assignment tonight. There's a uh, there's a, a new guy in town. Uh, his his name is Gavishaw. Who has apparently kind of uh, kind of been muscling in on the the territory here, and uh, so uh, Macek is is saying we're gonna we're gonna send Zeth to to pay him a visit, and uh, and kill him. So that's the mission. Yeah, Macek doesn't like him because the provincial landlord does like Gavishaw, uh, because Gavishaw is a stick in Macek's Gavacraw. Yes. That's his biggest Gava draw. Yes. <laughs> Sam's notes had a theme this week. I did. <laughs> Rhyming. We'll see how many more we can hit as this uh, this operation goes goes down. Speaking of how it's it's been it's been half this book and we have not had the the magic tutorial. We're back with Zeth, who is kind of the only one who is openly doing these magical power things we saw it we saw quite a bit of it in the prologue and basically nothing since then uh, so it's it's time for i guess him to show off to us what what he can do with the the powers that he has uh, because 
he makes pretty easy work of this assignment, at least all the way up till the very end. I mean, the assignment does get completed. You know, uh, Gavishaw does end up dead. I will give you that. Yeah. Also, uh, on that earlier thought, specifically, he's the only one that is using magic a lot and thinking about how the magic works so that we get the narration we need to understand it specifically. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, it is hard to secure a a building uh, from someone who can just orient gravity as they will and can cut through any wall or door. Because Zeth takes a a, a fairly direct route uh, while remaining unseen, uh, because he he just gets to you know take himself all the way to the the top of this this building this big rock dome cuts a hole in it uh opens it up with his uh his lashings walks inside upside down onto the dome and then uh yeah e- easily inside the the building let's continue to go uh with you know cutting through doors or walls whenever necessary and uh, very quickly makes it to uh, the bedroom. So, uh, uh, Macaque is starting to hear rumors about how nuts Zeth is at assassinating folks and is getting bolder at assassinating higher targets. Someday he might ask him to assassinate a king or something. Okay, he said that. That actually yeah. happened. I said it as a joke. <laughs> that is an actual concern Uh-oh. of Zeth's. <laughs> Whoops. Also, Sam, you gotta share that first line in the thing you just said. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> Seth's sec- second. Oh, God damn it! One, you have written a, quite a tongue twister here. Seth's <laughs> <laughs> second secret slime action is he can't give up his dang old shard blade. Can't give it up. <laughs> Bring back the secret slime action. <laughs> if he gives it up, he'll I get slimed. <laughs> I love the idea because the premise is that like yeah you're gonna get slimed like that will happen and I love the idea of like Zeth is so confident that he will not get slimed at all like it is important more important than anything else in his life that he does not do the secret slime action even once (laughs) my father said to me son never do the secret slime action (laughs) (laughs) and I honor him until my death Speaking of death, Gavishaw has already been murdered. Gavishaw is ah, dead. Gavishaw's His head dead. is on the table. I never Gavishaw that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> His neck was his biggest Gava flaw. Someone's headed off with a Gava claw. No. <laughs> I tried to get us back. <laughs> But I just fell into Sam's trap of more rhyming, <laughs> rhyming descriptions. I imagine on his face, wide open, was his gavama. Oh, <laughs> poetic, lovely. Uh, it rhymes or something. <laughs> <Some poetry. laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, that whole thing about Zeth hoping that he could just do small, unimportant things forever and would never have to interact with somebody who knew what he was capable of. Uh, there's someone here and they seem to know what Zeth is capable of. Huh. Oh boy. I also want to, speaking of Zeth honoring his, his father, he mentions like, I am Sun Sun Volano because I don't want to dishonor my father. 
I guess fuck Grandpa Volano though. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. My my two possibilities for that 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 I was thinking at this point is either Volano did something super terrible and Zeth is just like fuck that guy, <laughs> or I guess maybe just like he's dead and so it's less impactful. Like it's not it's not dishonoring a living person who is still going to be dealing with that. One of the two. Yeah. But yeah, this uh, this mysterious stranger insists on referring to him as Zeth Sun Naturo. And speaking of things that are poetic, starts kind of like waxing lyrical about the 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 beauty of Zeth's power, uh, which is not good. No. But uh, it turns out that there's uh, there's not much to be to be done about it because uh, Zeth does correctly deduce that. The the goal was make sure that Gavishaw is dead, and Gavishaw is dead, so I'm just going to leave. <laughs> Turns out Makek is also dead, uh, and apparently died seconds after Zeth left the, the gambling den. So this is, uh, this is quite an operation here that all seems to kind of be closing in around Zeth. Now, it's a very cool reveal. And I understand that it was seconds after, but the image of either this guy or one of his henchmen killing Makek and then faster than Zeth, who we already clarified was beelining directly for the mission and did it very quickly. Some other guy is just sprinting through the city and he's just carrying Makek's head the whole way. <laughs> Felt very morbidly funny to me. And and the only reason he's sprinting is like, we got to show this to Zeth. It's going to be such a good moment. <laughs> It's gonna be really cool, guys. Run, go. This guy does seem to have a uh, a flair for the dramatic. Oh yeah. But uh, because Makek is dead, Zeth's Oathstone has been claimed. Zeth does need to follow this new person's demands, uh, and those demands are: there's a list, uh, and all of these people need to die. Uh, and this list includes, among other people, six high princes. Uh, a Soleil Girontark and the King of Yaakoved. So that whole thing about hopefully I can just stay here, you know, killing minor crime lords and, and helping this guy be be lord of this tiny backwater. Uh, that plan is gone. Uh, if if this new plan continues, Zeth is soon going to be once again significantly altering the uh the world here hey you kill every important person in the world and then i'll give you more instructions <laughs> see you later and that's where we leave him having a worse time than the previous one <laughs> one of these days he's gonna get a w i can feel it <laughs> one Hold of these hope. days all right well uh, those are our three interludes. We will have another set when we wrap up part three, and uh, we'll see what kind of uh, what kind of exploration we do that time. But in addition to our uh, our three interludes, we did start the next two chapters of part three, uh, which we, as, as we see on our title page, is simply called "Dying," and will feature Kaladin and Shalon. Great, <laughs> great title. Good, yep. good, uplifting. Good good vibes 
Um, there's, it's not like I can do anything with this information, but I did notice that the glyph in the background of each part um, page is different. Those are changing up. So that's a, you know, that's, that's a cool thing to point out, I guess. <laughs> are the chapter headings breaking you, Caleb? Maybe a little bit. Hey, I found out something cool about the chapter headings and the interludes. The cool interlude Hell thing yeah. has has ten circles. It's not the same ten circles as are on the uh, the like first page of the book that looks like an eye that Justin pointed out that one time. I mean, it like kind of does, but not exactly. But it's it's cool. It's ten circles. That's a positive thing. Hell yeah! Uh, returning to part three, uh, is this a map or is this a drawing? Because we have a uh, we have a a cool drawing of the city of Carbranth, which I think we've established is like one of the nicest places in the Cosmere that we've seen so far, and it's a cool looking city. The way that it's kind of set into this this valley going all the way down uh, between these cliffs to the sea, it looks really cool. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a map, but it's it's awesome. It can hang. Um, and credit to Brandon when he was first describing the city. This is pretty much exactly what I imagined. Um, so to actually see the visual representation and be like, oh yeah, that, that's exactly it. it I, I think that lends a credit to how well he described the city when we first uh, get to it. Reminds me of like those uh, kind of drawings with the same sort of perspective of like city skylines. Mm-hmm. You know, and like pointing out buildings is like, you know, that's the Chrysler building. Yeah, no, I, I like this look. Uh, and it's it's well-timed because we are, uh, with chapter 29, arrogance, uh, we are back with Shallan for the first time in a while, and so we are returning to the city of Carbranth. Uh, new part, new chapters that aren't interludes, uh, completely new set of, of epigraphs here we, we start. Uh, we start with both a quote and an attribution. We have the ones of ash and fire who killed like a swarm, relentless before the heralds. And then this is apparently noted in Masley, page 337, and corroborated by Coldwin and Hasavok. So we're starting all over again with what's going on here. Proper citations! Yeah, well cited. It doesn't mean anything, but well cited. <laughs> yeah, at least their procedure is good. I just love that. When I was still doing like scholarship and stuff, it'd be like, oh, you know, this this was particularly like prevalent in in the old days of history before there was like a crisis in like the 90s where people were like, what the fuck is this shit now? Like, why? <laughs> why are you wasting our time with this made up bullshit? And then in the 90s, they were like, OK, we'll do better. Um, but before the 90s, the quotes were just like pretentious bullshit garbage that meant nothing. But <laughs> everybody was convinced it was real and i hated it and i had to read them entirely for my thesis and i hated it this was revealed to me in a dream <laughs> source me my sources i made it the fuck up in this chapter we are going to get into some of the uh the rosharan history practices and, and we'll see mixed opinions on those <laughs> Oh yeah, I'll have more to say. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, we we return to Shalon, and uh, the first thing that we we see is Shalon is checking in with the rest of her family. Uh, we have another another span read conversation, 
back to her brothers. Uh, particularly, this is uh, Elita, who is uh, Nanbalat's fiance, uh, is the one who she's actually writing to. Uh, but yeah, it's it's time to to see how the scheme is going. I gotta say, it's been like 100, 150 pages since we've gotten a Shalon POV. We're half a page in, and she's going, maybe I can be in the same room as Yasna when she's bathing. <laughs> for like normal reasons. Yeah, for normal stealing reasons. <laughs> for normal crime. I keep blowing past the subtext for... I just blow right past it. Well, I mean, to clarify, we have asked, like, it was unintentional subtext, right? Brandon right. was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. Yeah, Brandon also blew back the su- past the subtext while writing it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the, the checking in is, uh, hey, we sent you across the, the world to do this really dangerous thing to help keep us from from going broke and or getting i think possibly killed uh how's that going and it's one of those things where it's not you don't really have any progress until it's done the soul caster is either stolen or not stolen and currently it is not stolen <laughs> it's like everyone asking me like hey how's the job search going have you gotten a new job like how's or, or like have you made any progress in getting a job it's like what there's not progress. I'm going to get a new job or I'm going to not have a new job. <laughs> right. They're kind of binary points. Sam has uh, has created a new epithet here in noting that Blot is is quite uh quite sorry that Shalon is being forced to do this terrible thing for their for her awful family. Yeah, I'm sure crab boy. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the last that we saw of Blot uh he was feeling kind of sorry about things but he was also torturing a small animal to death so maybe we don't care about what balat thinks no not not to death just to abandonment with no means of protecting itself or healing well then he lets the dog eat it doesn't he or something i don't know maybe i don't quite remember but yeah um there's like there's a line later on where like she's thinking about her all of her brothers she goes he really could be blamed for much of what he's done none of them could and doesn't elaborate. It's like, what the fuck's going on with you people? What? what who, yeah. who are you? What's going on? Devars are not okay. Uh, although, weirdly, Shalon kind of is okay. And and that is kind of, like, it's not bothering her, but the fact that it's not bothering her is 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 striking her. Uh, because, you know, Blot thinks that, that Shalon is doing this very difficult task, and, and she has to think for a moment and, and thinks... I really like it here, though. I'm exploring the world. I'm studying with this you know, famous, renowned scholar. I have access to all of the books in the world. This is kind of great. <laughs> it's just like Biff's monologue from Death of a Salesman. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, um, I've done this monologue like in every drama class because I love the hell out of it. But... Um, Biff and Death of a Salesman, and like right near the end, um, you know, tells uh, tells old Mister Loman, Willie Loman, uh, "Hey, Dad, um, what am I? Why are you making me do this thing? I don't like it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful monologue by 
by our man Arthur Miller. Um, uh, and Shalon's basically re reproducing it here. Like, hey, why am I doing this thing that I don't want to do when all I want is, like, here? Right. Yeah. Scholarship. Sexy lady that maybe she'll <laughs> bathe. <laughs> <laughs> what more does a girl need? And when the alternative is the Devar family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to uh, give this up for Crab Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and apparently the Devar family is uh, in also not in a great spot, even since we last saw them. Uh, the the debts that they're in are starting to uh, starting to get called. And they are uh, they're trying to. Uh, they're they're trying to keep things paid off, and it's it's barely hanging on. Uh, there's the additional political complication of apparently the the high prince of Yakoved uh, is quite sick, and people are starting to wonder about things like uh, succession. And the Devars are at least important enough that their opinion would matter, and nobody has seen Shalon's dad in months at this point, so that's a little suspicious. Mm. but uh shallan says how long do i have maybe a, a few months is is what they're uh what they're hoping and uh they shallan thinks maybe that'll be enough there is a note here that like devar family remains very fucked up uh i this one always struck me just like it i think it's quite a thing where apparently one of the ways that they are keeping the uh, the the creditors at bay uh, is that uh, Jushu, who has had a significant gambling problem uh, in the past, has stolen things from the Devar household and sold them off to pay his gambling debts, and he is continuing to do that to pay the family's debts. And hoping that nobody realizes that they just think, oh, it's it's Jushu, he's in trouble again. Yeah, I'll give him some cash for this random thing he's trying to pawn. And it's like, still a super fucked up group, but that's like almost touching. Yeah, that struck me too. I'm like, wow, that's a smart move. How fucking awful that you're, the, the cards have been dealt to you in such a way that this is the smart move you have to pull. Yeah, I did. I, 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 I'm trying to keep track. It's been a while since we got that interlude. Wickham is busy trying to keep everyone thinking that the dad's still alive. Jushu is off selling belongings. What, what's Balot actually doing? Is he doing anything? <laughs> he's coordinating, Caleb. He's no. the leader. <laughs> he's the manager. He's, he's delegating. <laughs> How else would he have time for his grabs? <laughs> yeah, um... Shallan does propose an alternate plan that maybe they could do aside from trying to rob one of the most powerful people in the world, uh, which is just ask her for help because Shallan has interacted with Yasna for a while at this point and, and thinks maybe we could just like make a deal. But uh, the, uh, the rest of the family thinks that that's uh, quite unlikely. They, uh, they don't think that they're going to be able to depend on a, uh, a particularly infamous member of the, the Alethi nobility. 
yeah, the uh, options are options are tricky here. As most of the uh, most of the discussion wraps up, uh, we have uh, one more thing. As most of the the people involved have left, it is now just Shalon and Balat and Elita, uh, because there's more complication, uh, which is that Luesh has died. Luesh was the steward. Uh, who was kind of most closely involved in this whole thing. Uh, he was, most importantly, the one who actually knew how to work the Soulcaster, because that's still an open question. Uh, and it doesn't seem like foul play that he's dead, uh, but some people have arrived who seem to know some things uh, and are heavily implying the things that they know, like, uh, hey, you've got a Soulcaster, we'd like it back. And not only is the uh, the Soulcaster broken, it's halfway across the world with Shallan right now. So <laughs> there's a new problem here. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. There's such a truly stupid little thing in this part of the conversation that bothers me, which is curious. Shallan wrote, "So Luesh dot dot dot." How frustrating would that be in a Spanry conversation? That. Like, oh my so, God. dot, 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 puts Spanry aside, twists the knob, your turn. It's, yeah, it's it's something to legitimately type out the currently thinking ellipses that you get on Messenger, yeah. and then be like, oh, no, I'm done. Just write, yep. Shalon Devar is writing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason why people with walkie-talkies say over. Yeah. Or over yeah. and out. <laughs> Fun fact, if you've ever heard a pilot or an air traffic controller uh, just put big uh in the middle of their sentences, uh, that is intentional. It is so that you can differentiate the radio has died from I'm thinking and still talking. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, there's, there's protocols for this. And Shalon just wrote dot, 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 and then stopped writing. <laughs> But uh, the thing that she was uh, was uh, curious about uh, is they uh, when when Luesh died, uh, apparently he had a pendant with a uh, a mysterious symbol on it, uh, and that uh, one of the people who came looking for it had this symbol uh, as a tattoo on his hand. Uh, it is three diamond shapes in a curious pattern. Uh, we will. I don't know how long it'll be before we actually like see this symbol, but if you want to picture it, it's just a Mitsubishi logo. Like, yeah, <laughs> nice. Sam's notes continue on. Uh, apparently, the the rhyming we had seen the the Gavishaw rhyming. Apparently, the rhyming continued, uh, <gasps> but but stopped when uh, Sam could not find a word that rhymes with hand that also means hand. That's right. <laughs> Because one of the lewd, crude, rude dudes had a tattooed in a blue hue on his hand. Brand. Un. <laughs> I don't know if it was blue, though. It could have been black, I guess. Or any other color. Who knows? Maybe it's red. Maybe he is just sponsored by Mitsubishi. <laughs> so, yeah, we've got like a secret society here or something with, uh, with mysterious logos. Uh, and... Nobody in this conversation really knows anything about it, so that'll just be a mystery. That'll be that. <laughs> this is a thing. All right. Anyway. 
yeah, the uh, the conversation is going to wrap up here. Shalon has a, a concluding thought, which is that uh, robbing someone as important and well-connected as, as Yasna Kolin could very well start a war. Uh, Blot has a very comforting reply, uh, which is, oh no, we're not important to g- enough to go to war over. We would just get executed and that would be that. <laughs> Sleep tight. It's also fun getting a uh, king of Yaakoved name drop uh, so soon after we've learned that, uh-oh, something might be happening to the king of Yaakoved soon because yeah. somebody might have just gotten orders to do something about that. Hmm. King Ham Sandwich. <laughs> King Hanavanavanavanar. It's one of those I names think... that you have to figure out where it stops. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, uh, you know what, Ham's, it's a funny thing for me to say Ham Sandwich. But it's a cool name of King Hanavanar. Yeah. It's just very easy to make fun of, King <laughs> It is very funny that out of all Cosmere characters to call Ham Sandwich, you went with this and not the character named Ham. Named Ham. <laughs> Who may or may not still be alive. He cannot die. <laughs> I'm adding him to the longevity <laughs> list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that will be the, the end of uh, checking in with the Devar family. Uh, it's time to go do some scholarship. And then five hours later, Shalon is sick of doing scholarship. <laughs> I do uh I, I do love the the first exchange here uh which is uh Shalon has been kind of engrossed in uh the task that Yasna set her which was the the history of the Alethi throne uh and she is ridiculously bored by it uh and is just kind of grumbling to herself and says I really hate the Alethi monarchy which several of us here say same and then Yasna, who has just walked in the room, says, I'll try not to take that personally, given that that's her family. Yeah, but you didn't need it individually, just categorically. Yes, I too categorically hate all members of the Alethi monarchy. <laughs> Except Dalinar. Dalinar is cool. Dalinar does seem to be a, a, a notable good spot there. Uh, but uh, yeah, Shalon has, uh, has gotten sick of the, the particular studies at the moment. Uh, and uh, explains that in particular it is that it seems like it is just argument after argument from people who will not see any other point of view. And uh, Yasna says, well, they're, maybe they're just confident. And uh, we, we get our, our chapter title drop uh, because Shalon says they're they're more arrogant than than confident and then decides to to portmanteau a new word to be more specific uh, in that they are arrogant, in that they are both arrogant and also wrong. <laughs> nice. Uh, but it turns out that this particular, uh, I guess, time period of, of authorship uh, was uh, a, a period called the Assuredness Movement, uh, which was a, a particular kind of phase of, of scholarship in that the the writing style and the kind of argumentation techniques uh, would be that you would very clearly and unambiguously state your case as if it was the one correct thing and 
without that context, Shalon thinks that it is it is just uh, uh, it's not quite for her. I do like that uh, Yasta has her reading kind of both sides of this, uh, because that's what it's all about, you know. Um, when there's enough scholarship on something to have the the kind of pro con debate, you gotta read both, um, because if you don't, then you're gonna miss you're you're gonna leave a whole gap in your armor uh, mm-hmm. when you're defending your thesis of hey why you know have you considered X because every scholar that's that thinks you're dumb has right and you haven't addressed it at all <laughs> um, so you gotta read that point counterpoint uh, unless it's you know written by an asshole who name calls like all these people <laughs> apparently have done now are turning to name calling. <laughs> <laughs> like you it, when when the source that is against your point of view starts saying anyone who believes this is an, is, is an idiot then you need to blow your nose with it and throw it in the trash and move on to the next one that's actually <laughs> gonna be helpful yeah yeah everybody who does that is an idiot <laughs> but not individually just categorically categorically, just, just categorically. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Shalon is is kind of going through her her feelings on on this sort of uh, of scholarship, and is getting uh, is getting very quippy about it. And uh, Yasna actually kind of calls her out on it and says, "If if you worked half as hard on your scholarship as you did on making witty comments, you could be one of the greatest scholars ever." <laughs> so. She calls her out right as I started feeling Shalon getting a little bit annoying. Um, because there's a there's like a specific thing of like, oh, she'll make a witty comment, and then someone will be like, haha, you were that was a nice sassy comment. And then she'll double down and try to make a witty comment about how witty she is. And that's the moment where it's like, no, no, quit while you're ahead. That's where you need to stop. <laughs> and right as Shalon does that, Yas is like, okay, come on, chill. This is something that I I don't want to bias this podcast on, but it's it's kind of a it, it's an argument that comes up a lot in reading Stormlight in particular, uh, because for some people, Shalon's quips really great on them, and they like actively dislike when when she's doing it. But for some people, it's also that they not only does does like Shalon's quips like in character get too old, but some people. Like they they find it not funny at all, and just that like that Brandon isn't funny and is trying to be funny, and then there's there's a counterpoint of like in universe, Shalon gets called out on this. She's not always as funny as she thinks she is, and some of that is a justification, and some of it's not. Like we have to read these comments too, and so if they get old, they get old. But it's a uh, it's definitely something that I've seen come up. No, I I think that there are people who are, I, I feel like everybody, you know, I don't like to, to stereotype people who read Brandon Sanderson books, myself included, but w- I feel like all of us kind of know somebody who's like this as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Who, or who or does, were that like, person. The, or were, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who does the kind of like cringy wit thing, mm-hmm. um, thinks they're being really clever. It is clever, as Yasna points out here. It's clever, right? But it's passably clever. Yeah, it's not, you know. And I think it's it's really, 
if if Shallan could just forget about the whole Devar family crisis thing and just study with Yasna for another several years, like Yasna is is not only calling her out for being obnoxious with her comments, but is is trying to push her to channel that in a more useful fashion. So like this could be a really good mentor relationship for Shalon. Yasna also says that uh, she thinks that that Shalon and Wit would get along very well, which would not be a, a good combination, I think. <laughs> no, Wit would grind her into the dirt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now that we've we've kind of we've gone over the the attitudes of the various scholars who are writing here, uh, Shalon has gotten some out of this, though she says it, it doesn't really feel like much. Uh, because the 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 thing that she has been researching is the 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 cause of Gavilar's death, which is still a, a topic of of considerable debate. Because there was no obvious motivation for it, and it just it just happened, and and so people are still arguing over, you know, why why did the Parshendi sign a treaty and then immediately have him assass- assassinated? I think the interesting question that is directly asked um, by uh, Shalan here uh, is why the Bershendi hired Zeth, quote-unquote hired. Um, I feel like if I had to theorize here, it, it my theory is they knew Gavilar had shard plate, and at the time the Bershendi did not, nor shard blades per Dalinar, mm-hmm. I think. So they need somebody who could crack that. Because we've seen that the only way to, that they are actually winning these battles on the Shattered Plains is by shoving people. Right. So they need somebody with a shard blade. And a Z in his name. And a Z in his name. It's the key. But having gone over all these options, Shalon doesn't really want to draw any conclusions herself uh she thinks that it is uh have, having only studied this for a little bit now she is is in an inadequate place to actually uh draw a conclusion uh, she says my tutors told me that supposition was only for the very experienced and yasna says your tutors were idiots and and wants to encourage the the kind of youthful bravado of i've had an idea i think it's a good one i'm gonna put it out there and and see see what happens uh has some examples from history including one that's uh, less on the idea side uh, because the Sunmaker was only 17 when he began his conquest uh, we have guevara who wasn't yet 20 when she proposed the theory of three realms so there's all sorts of, uh, hey. of young... Uh... Leo pointing meme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all sorts of, of uh, young people in history who accomplished great things. Uh, although, as, as Shalon points out, there's also some uh, famous young people who royally screwed things up. So you got to be careful which one you land as. I'm glad that we have an older point of view character this book because Brandon really likes to make his his young savants and then if you hit 26 you're a spinster <laughs> hag 
So <laughs> this whole section, I was just like, come on, man. I'm glad Dalinar exists to balance things out a little yeah. bit. This is also around the point where Shalon, like, gets back to complaining about the research she's doing. But she specifically is like, yeah, and we're wasting time reading about this six-year-old murder. It's like, Shalon, it's still Yasna's dad we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they are going to uh, go back to their studies Shalon gets to reflect a bit on how uh, this is a kind of a vastly different style of, of scholarship than uh, what she was expecting. You know, there's, there's no memorization and, and recitation and busy work. There's a lot of, here's, here's an area that I'd like you to go find what you can, find lots of different sources and, and take a look through all of them. And then we're going to discuss and hypothesize and, you know, do actual scholarship here, which is, is really nice for, uh, for Shalon to be working on. Learn by doing. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing that Shalon hasn't quite figured out, which we, we don't get to, uh, is what is yasna's project because she's she's willing to talk about the the details of like you know go get these books for me please or whatnot or help me with this thing but the the big picture is uh, is not something that she is ready to discuss so as as one of one of the other many things that shalon is working on is what is yasna's project here because that seems like it's important too I do love the line of Yas Nicole and truly believed in what she was doing, whatever that was. Yeah. <laughs> but they get a, uh, they get some time to, uh, to study. They get another couple of hours. Uh, it's almost time for lunch. And uh, we, we get, instead of just lunch, we get a, a bit of a more important interruption uh, because uh, arriving at their, their room is Teravangian the king of Carbranth, who we, we saw uh, way early on when we first met Yasna, uh, just kind of the, uh, the, the well-liked, but not like very impactful kind of wise old man. And he is, uh, he's here to just you know, enjoy some polite company for one thing. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a, uh, it's a pleasant interruption. We get a, a nice meal here with, uh, with the king and with Yasna, and they they start to chat, and uh, Teravangian has a kind of a he's just willing to just start talking about things, and so he is uh, he he's going to bring up things like Yasna has a soul caster. And that's something that usually is restricted to the Ardents, and they probably don't like that. And what happened there? And Yasna is willing to to chat with him about this because she, I, I think she can tell that there's like, it's just kind of idle curiosity. But uh, but she's not willing to to talk about everything. Yeah, he uh, he says I stand by my questions, and she says I stand by my evasiveness. So, I. Uh, Yasna is not offended that he has asked, but is, is not going to answer. 
I ain't telling you shit, old man. <laughs> Probably like two notches, two notches more polite than that. <laughs> uh, also, Sam, I just saw your note about uh, calling him King T instead of Teravangian. Uh, that is not uncommon, actually. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It was. I was just. I was typing it out every time, and then I was like, "Nope, I'm done. I can't. I'm getting, I'm getting the carpal <laughs> tunnel." But uh, it turns out that in addition to his uh, curiosity about these matters, uh, Teravangian did actually want uh, want something else when he stopped by for lunch. And it's a uh, it's a, a more simple ask, and it's a kind of a nice one, which is he has apparently heard that Shalon is a very talented artist and would like a portrait drawn. So, yeah, that we can do. Yasna calls the artistic talent a pre-existing condition, which is a brutal <laughs> way to describe it. He's going to get his caricature done by caricature artist Shalan. Nice. Is she going to give him a big head and like a tiny body? And <laughs> He's got to be like juggling for some reason, even though that's completely irrelevant. <laughs> the conversation is like, so what do you like doing? What are your hobbies? And then it'll be like, oh, I like bowling. And then you, you know, suddenly he's holding a bowling ball yeah. in the drawing. <laughs> Perfect. Brandon, I hope you're listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we've seen some of uh, of Shalon's art process and it is it is quite a talent that she has. She gets one good look at, at the king uh, and then can start drawing and he can return to his lunch, return to his conversation. Which uh, we we go from uh, him asking politely and then being rebuked politely about what's up with the soulcaster, and we go from that to what's up with the atheism, <laughs> which uh, he he thinks must be hard for Yasna, not having the uh, you know the assurance and the the sense of of morality that that his religion gives him and uh yasna has uh has other opinions and is is somewhat i think uh well used to this this debate and so goes through her arguments and they uh I don't think either of them really expected to change each other's mind, but they, they definitely don't come to any, uh, any, any conclusion. I really like this conversation, though. I like it, too. They don't come to a conclusion, but Yasna definitively wins the argument. It's, it's not even yeah. close. Um, <laughs> which is just, you know, I think I've talked about it before with Sazid, but it reminded me a lot of shout-out to Brothers Karamazov, or the, the Brothers mm -hmm. K, as we in the biz call them. Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I love these juicy conversations. They're always really fun and interesting. Shalon does note that, uh, yeah, this this does seem to be pretty one-sided if you look at it as like an academic debate. But then again, Teravangian is, is well-liked, is, is very popular, uh, but is not a, you know, a renowned for his, his academic depth. And Yasna is... A, a very accomplished historian and, and, and scholar. So in terms of like a, a rhetorical skill, it's, it's definitely not a, an even match there. Uh, meanwhile, Shalon has just been uh, progressing with her drawing. It, it's, it's going along much faster than Teravangian expected. So he can, 
he can see the drawing before he even has to leave, which is is great. There's something weird about this drawing. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? She's accidentally drawn a bonus full-page illustration <laughs> unique to this portrait. <laughs> mm. You're not allowed to have it, Taravangi, and you didn't pay extra. <laughs> she drew the spooky guys from the extra special super edition. It's so spooky. The kind of terrifying thing is, this is not the exact drawing, because she specifies she only drew two, and there's three in our special illustration, implying that she's probably going to be drawing more of them, which is even more terrifying. Or she never learned how to count. That could also be the case. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> Yasna's like, I know her math. She says she wasn't great at math, but I really thought she'd be better than this. <laughs> They're going to turn to her in the drawing and wink. It's like that movie Velvet Buzzsaw. And then they're going to kill her. I mean, it movie. is pretty spooky what what the hell just happened here. Yeah, <laughs> it is. What the, what the fuck? Beth said it best. It, uh, it certainly uh, shocks Shalon, who just, like, tears the, the page away and crumples it up and won't show anyone. Which... I don't know what would have happened if the other people did see, but that would have been uh, quite the questions to ask. But uh, yeah, she she says she made a mistake, uh, does not want to uh, to to show off something that is not kind of worthy of of the king here, and we'll definitely redo it and we'll get it to him before too long, and it, it'll be just fine. And can we please just go on? So uh, as we we start to uh, to wrap up the chapter here. Shalon is going to go take a bit of a break, uh, but they, they do talk about the king after he's left. Uh, Shalon notes that uh, he's apparently seen as, as a weak leader uh, because he, he kind of goes along with what a lot of the other, other monarchs uh, do and is, is not willing to, to stand up for, for Carbranth in a, a place of war. And Yasna is musing on how, as history goes on, that attitude can change. And, you know, maybe a, a long time ago, a, a, someone who brings peace to, to kingdoms would be would be revered. Uh, but now now they call him a coward. So maybe maybe it's just a person kind of being in being in the wrong time and not having the right the right attitude for what people want right now. For the uh, the the very final bit of the chapter, Shalon, who who also is a, a believer in the the Voran faith, uh, also has some questions for Yasna and, and and says, "This is something that that Teravangian didn't bring up, but it's what I would have have brought up. This is you know, this is what I think shows my belief and and why this is the the right uh, the right attitude." Uh, and it it goes for a little bit and and. Uh, Yasna acknowledges that it is a it is a well constructed argument, even if it's not one that uh, that will will sway her. But says, you know, you're uh, you 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 have you're getting better at rhetoric, and we're going to make a scholar of you yet. So Shalon is going to wrap up this chapter with uh, quite a few conflicting thoughts on what do I do here? Do I do this theft? Do I keep working for Yasna? What am I supposed to do? Also, what the hell was that in that drawing? 
and we'll have to figure out where we go from there. How can she ever betray Yasna when she feels a surge of pleasure whenever she receives a compliment from her because <laughs> praise from Yasna is more precious than an emerald brome? You know, like a normal thing to feel about a human. <laughs> In a normal heterosexual way, yes. I can't betray her until after I give her a bath. <laughs> All right. And with, with that uh, very accurate interpretation, we will uh, head on from Shalon's chapter for one more for the section. Our other chapter for this section that's actually part of the, uh, the main part, uh, we are back to Kaladin for Darkness Unseen. We have another uh, quote and uh, uh, citation here. Uh, this one is, uh, there, there's some kind of editorializing in the citation, which I think is almost the more interesting part, uh, where this this comes from a, this is kind of the original form of a, a Thalen proverb that most people know in a, a different form. And then there's also a, a note for Ixix Emperor, chapter four. So there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of texts being referenced here. Reminds me of, um... My uh, my partner's mom was a poet, and she opened one of her books with, you know, I, I didn't pretend to know her mind as far as poetry. I never quite got her poetry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, you know, my apologies to, to her. She was great. Um, but uh, the, the book of poetry started with, like, half of a sentence that was a quote she quoted the latter half of a sentence just cut from like a random source and it wasn't even like a, it was like the particular beige appeal period <laughs> ellipses leading into that quote yeah it gave like a, a name and a page number and i was like okay how what am i supposed to feel is that supposed to mean anything this is only a quarter of a thought. It reminds me of how uh, I'm trying to find it, and now, uh, now it's weirdly I can't find it. Okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is from the start. Not one source tone from the end, but pretty much sure from the start of Mad Max Fury Road. There's just text that shows up that says, "Where must we go? We who wander this wasteland in search of our better selves," and that is attributed to the first history man. A made-up character who does not even show up in the movie. <laughs> it's a baller move. There is a um, there's another fantasy series that uh, has a, a reputation for uh, complexity and and interwovenness and all that, which is the Malazan Book of the Fallen, which I have yet to read all of, and I have been meaning to remedy that, but it's it's an effort. Uh, but the the first book, Gardens of the Moon, uh, it it opens with an epigraph, which is a it seems like it's a like a snippet from an epic poem that includes in its attribution the name of the epic poem, the like chapter and line number that is quoted, and the author, including their uh, date of birth and death. All of this in a fictional world that you have yet to read any of. <laughs> Not thinking about any of that, though, is Kaladin. There's my segue. Because we are, we're back in Bridge 4. 
And when we when we left off at the end of part two, uh, there was progress being made. They had they had shared a meal together and were were starting to to come together. And we're gonna get to, we're gonna get to see how that's going, uh, which at least on on this element of can we just like actually physically work together is is starting to go well he he's getting them up in the morning they're actually working out with him uh he does note that probably a couple of the people are only joining because rock or teft threatened them to do so but says you know what i'm gonna work with it for now because uh we're we're actually we're actually going somewhere yeah you were kind of like try to figure out a segue back to the book and i was going to do one of my classic serious lean-ins where i say something serious about the book but things are going well for caledon i couldn't do that that segue wouldn't work (laughs) yeah i like i do like the detail of like bridge four is all working together and a little bit of it is because of threats instead of obedience this really is like the the mega Rayodin of like <laughs> who is able to <laughs> inspire total obedience with a word. I think Caleb pointed out a few episodes ago, and now it's like an undoubtedly heroic character in this book is just being completely ignored. Yeah, and and he notes he's like, you know what, I'm gonna settle for obedience right now. I'll have to work on loyalty later, but we take what we can get in Bridge Four. We take those. We do. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be interrupted from uh, what Bridge Four is up to uh, for a Gaz POV, which the prophecy didn't foretell this. <laughs> I was told to be getting Kaladin and Shalon only. Get an extra bonus here, <laughs> and I think this—it's only like two pages, but I, I think this diversion does kind of reinforce our theory of. You can be a fucker, but if things are going particularly badly for you, we kind of like you. Yeah. Because Gaz is just in kind of a rough spot. Like, he has some very little bit of power. He is in charge of the bridge crews. Uh, but he is is working for... Uh, he's working for Lamoril, who is a, uh, a, a very uh, low-ranking Light Eyes... Uh, who is also not a great person and is Gaz's superior and is kind of breathing down his neck and also extorting him. There's a, we, we get some, some internal monologue on the fact that Gaz is, is missing an eye because of an injury, which I think is just like not a thing that I expected we'd get. And it's a, it's a cool look. We love looking at middle management of, evil things it's it's evil middle management is fun um there it, this this reminds me a lot and also following up on the you can, we might be cheering for a fucker if they're a pathetic fucker it reminds me of um <laughs> in fargo season four there's a character who fargo season four is about like a war between two gangs and there's a character who is a cop who is on the payroll of both gangs and I was talking to someone else and they were like, God, he's such a coward. He's so sniveling. I hate him. And he was like one of my favorite characters from the season, mostly because 80% of the time he's on screen, he is being bullied by someone. And you're just kind of <laughs> like your heart goes out to the guy. He does nothing morally correct in the entire show. But the entire time you're like, 
man, this guy's got it rough too. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the dilemma that Gaz is facing uh, is that uh, it would be really convenient if Calvin just went away. You know, he's uh, he's being somewhat disruptive for the, this well organized war effort, uh, and it would be great if that didn't happen. Uh, but you can't just kill him because then what you've done there is you've created a martyr and you're going to have you know, full-scale slave revolt, etc., etc. So uh, Lamoral, in addition to uh, extorting Gaz and putting pressure on him to keep the bridge crews running and all that, has now added the additional complication of can you just make Kaladin have an, ac- an accident and just not come back? <laughs> Because that would be really great. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Storm father. We get a whole storming damnation from him. <laughs> so back to the, uh, the, the practice yard. Bridge four is practicing, which is a wild concept for a bridge crew when normally you would not survive long enough for it to matter. Uh, but it's kind of a compounding thing where now that bridge four is starting to survive at least for the most part if they can get better at being a bridge crew that will help them stay alive so they're they're actually you know they're they're working out they are practicing a bridge run and maybe this will get them there faster and get their their bridge in place before the danger next time then kaladin says almost word for word there's got to be a better way. <laughs> just the infomercial black and white kicks in. It's... Of all the bridge crews just getting fucking Course slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he stands there with his hands on his hips. <laughs> Introducing holding the bridge at a slant. Yeah. <laughs> you did not have a lot of confidence in that uh, infomercial segue, and I don't think I blame you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I'll be honest. I like Brad describes physically what's going on, and my thought is, one, Cowden, take it from someone with experience. You're getting scoliosis in like a month. That is not, <laughs> not good for you to have all that weight on just one side. And secondly, don't they still have to put it upright again? when they're shoving it across the chasm, which is when they're getting shot at by the Parshendi? It'll all be fine. <laughs> Those are questions for future Kaladin. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of like, I guess we're just going to try the only thing that we can. Because, uh, yeah, that's that's one of the things that, uh, that he comes up with. Uh, is that... They, you know, we've established that bridgemen are unarmed and unarmored. You know, they physically you could have some running in front with shields that would protect them, but that's not allowed. They do have a very, very large wooden thing that could be used as a shield. It just does not seem like it is physically a optimal operation. But uh, that's what they're going to try. They are going to try to carry the bridge sideways. And Kaladin has to uh, has to make some excuses about it because 
Uh, Gaz is here to be angry at Bridgman trying to do anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, we're just, you know, we're just working out a little differently. Want to get through all the, all the muscles. It's very important. There is a, uh, an interesting bit here as, uh, as Kaladin is, is kind of organizing everyone up. Uh, he, he's set up kind of squad commanders among the, the, the bridge team, uh, which is not like really a thing that he, he can do, but he's just going to do it and nobody's going to stop him. Uh, and those, those four commanders are Rock and Teft, who we've seen, uh, quite, quite a bit of, uh, Scar, who has some military experience and Moash, who hates Kaladin's guts. And Moash says, why me? Like, you know that I don't like you. And Kaladin's answer is, uh, I need someone who has, you know, has their own strong will and, and is, is going to, you know, be confident and capable. And even if you don't like me, that's you. So you're, you're our fourth, our fourth captain. The uh, the last bit of our chapter is a uh, a potential consequence here of the, the the highly unusual side carry, and a potential out for Gaz on his uh, his conundrum of what do I do about Kaladin, uh, because he he comes comes storming over and says and says what is that? Uh, Kaladin picks exactly the wrong time to be an obnoxious little shit about this and says <laughs> it's a bridge crew carrying i think it's a bridge <laughs> it's the exact right time it's so excellent <laughs> but uh yeah he gives this whole spiel about how you know it's it's tiring we'll we'll, we'll carry it like this on the way back you let us let us stretch out and then gaz has an idea and says you know what that sounds like a really good idea you should do that you should do that during a bridge run and uh hmm. It's a, a a tense moment of guess we'll do that then, and uh, Gaz has a uh, has high hopes for this being a complete and total disaster, which is where we will end our section for this week. All right, where does that take us next? That takes us to me looking up the cast list, uh, which did bounce around a bit because we had uh, we had interludes to do. Uh, so I, I did have to do some pick, some picking and choosing of normally if a character is never going to be seen again in a chapter, we may be less likely to cast them. Interludes kind of by definition, some of these characters we're never going to see again. So we have we have some down. We'll see who makes the list uh, and we will start that list with Sam. OK. So uh, let's go down. I have. Names that you don't have, and I have recasts and other weird stuff. So, uh, Risen. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, which is fine. Uh, Vistim. I'm gonna go with Jeremy Irons for him. I think it'd be fun. Wise older man that he could learn a lot from. Yeah. You know? Why not? Not exactly like a mercantile build, if that is such a thing, but... Um, 
this one I'm kind of disappointed in myself. Uh, Thresh. I brainstormed for forever to figure out a, a fitting Thresh, and I just couldn't. just wasn't coming to me, so I don't have a Thresh. Or an Axes, because Axes is just a weird little guy. Axes is just um, a weird little guy. Just a weird little guy. Uh, the rest I've got. So there you go. Okay. Uh, Makek. I'm going with Sean Ryder. It's Sean with a U and Ryder with a Y. Uh, he played Severed Head in the music video for Dare by Gorillas. Perfect. Oh, perfect I know that guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> also, thank you for asking both of the questions that I had on his name spelling. Yeah. <laughs> it's da. Uh, uh, I have a new Shalan. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I named the Horizon Zero Dawn person. Uh, the only problem is that person's like heroic. I guess. <laughs> so, uh, instead, I'm going with the new Shalan, who is Aaron Kellyman. Hey, that name's familiar. I cast her as someone else last week, I think. Uh, that yeah, that was uh, it was your oh, Danlin. I- and I also actually I I ha- considered her for Shalan at one point actually I yeah 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 I'm on board with that because oh. yeah she was on my short list I think. All right, well, it all it all comes together. <laughs> it's a full full circle, um, but I just kind of picture her like that. She's yeah. got freckles. She's got the little bit of like nerdishness. So, yeah. Um, I have a uh Teravangian that is not a joke kind of we've actually seen a bit more of him now still i mean one of them is kind kind of a joke but it's okay uh i'm i i just like this i just like imagining it uh james hong uh, who played david lopan in big trouble in little china who's yeah, the bad guy i think i think i also consider james hong when we first met teravangian as well he plays a good old guy he does um or another name that you probably considered for something, um, Oh Young Su, uh, because believe it or not, he he's the, the old guy from Squid Game, um, but he used to mostly play monks, and I picture King T is looking kind of monastic looking. Huh, yeah. Um, okay. I don't know if that's because he's described as such or because I originally cast Shavo Odaji in to play him, <laughs> but it's one of those. Uh, so. One of those guys, James Hong or Oh Young Soo, Lamoureux. I This is kind of a joke, but I not kind of not. I you know you know how I cast. I, I cast like mm-hmm. I'm making a dream. So, uh, Lamoureux, I'm going with Jeff Jarrett. He's a guy you love to hate. He just needs a guitar to hit over someone's head. Maybe that's how they'll get rid of Kaladin. <laughs> Musical instrument based <laughs> violence. Mysterious guitar accident. <laughs> it looks like a guitar was broken over his head. I like the implication that, that you could have been tell anything. that you could tell it was a guitar and not just like a two by four. <laughs> well, the guitar broke in two, but does that mean that someone broke it or it just got <laughs> broken? The world may never know. <laughs> Let's take it to eight different sets of guitar workers to get their opinion on if it was broken <laughs> oh, intentionally or not. I got it. I get your reference. All right. And that's it for me. That's all I got. Okay. All right. Uh, and then Caleb, what uh, what does your list look like? 
Sure, I've got a couple of recaps, but I'll actually save that towards the end. Um, so let's just go through here. Um, for Risen, I have Carrie Ingram, who played Shireen Baratheon on Game of Thrones. Um, as Vestim, I have Alan Armstrong, who was the first London Tenardier in Les Mis. Um, as Thresh, I have Chakrit Yamnam, uh, who is um, in a lot of uh, uh, movies that are probably not familiar to English audiences. He was in Bangkok Dangerous, which did star Nicolas Cage, um, so that's a positive thing. Um, as Axius, when he mentioned like morphing his body to not be able to smell, my brain instantly went to the cockroach man from Man in Black. And then all of a sudden I was like, well, what if it was Vincent D'Onofrio? And then I couldn't get it out of my head. So that's all I could picture. Uh, I know he usually plays sinister characters, but I kind of want to just watch Vincent D'Onofrio be this funny, weird little guy. Um, <laughs> so that's who I've got there. Um, as Makek, I have Stephen Ure, U-R-E is how you spell that last name, um, who played, I think, multiple orcs in Lord of the Rings. Um, and then as Lamaril, I have Julian Sihi, uh, who was Tim Kono in Only Murders in the Building. Um, and one of the recasts is because I had to double check, have I cast Julian Sihi as anyone else? So I typed Julian into my notes, and I've not cast him as anyone else. They realize... I've made a tragic error in that I accidentally cast Julian Glover as two separate characters in the Cosmere. One as Fel Du from the Mistborn trilogy and one as Kahar from Elantris. Couldn't tell you a single thing either of those characters do, but I did cast the same actor in both of them. <laughs> um, so I had just Fel thought... Fel Du was the dressmaker. Yes, <laughs> of course. Fel Du and his lad. His um, lad, yes. Um... So I think Kahar was like just another guy who showed up at, at, in Raiden's cool new Elantris he was city. The cleaning guy, right? He was the guy who was like, yeah, I cleaned yeah, yeah, forever yeah. and they went, do it for eternity now. Yes, it will be rewarding for you now because of the simple joys of manual labor. Raiden got it. Raiden knew all along the simple joys of, <laughs> of manual labor. Um, but anyways, I just thought of Julian Sihi, so I was like, I only murders in the building. Also, I definitely finished that last night, but that's completely unrelated to why I picked Teddy Kaluka as the new Kahar. He's in only murders in the building. Um, and then my last one, I don't know what made me think of this, besides perhaps watching H-Bomber Guys, re-watching for the fifth time, H-Bomber Guys video on Sherlock. Um, but I am cognizant that I committed great sin when I cast Timothy Chalamet as the Lord Ruler. And I would like to undo some of that damage. I kind of want Andrew Scott as the Lord Ruler. I think he would rock that. Ooh, I'm here for that. Give him some better material. Let him go. Yeah, he can, he can make you think that a work is good by just acting so well. So if the work <laughs> is good and he's acting well, surely it's going to be even better. Um, so yeah, that's what I've got for casting. If you want to see him doing something that is somewhat famously good, uh, watch his Hamlet. It's very good. Yes, I've seen clips of that. He's very good. All right. Uh, cool. That updates our cast list. Uh, and now we are we're going to be getting back into things with uh, returning to uh, returning to Shalon's side of the story. Uh, we've got quite a big development when we checked in with Zeth. Uh, and we have Risen and Axes, who maybe will mean something later and maybe won't. Uh, so 
uh, I am curious, starting with Sam, uh, what jumped out at you here? What what do you think we're going to be uh, following with next? Well, I came prepared. Okay. For the... For the entirety of this past week, I've been breathing in stormlight, I've kept my shard blade by my side, and I've avoided treading on stone. The end result is my power bill's enormous, I got fired for bringing a sword to the office, and my driver's license got suspended, but it was worth it! Let's go! Let's go! <laughs> I looked through our cast of characters, our rogues gallery, and thought to myself, what do they want? Why can't they get it right now? What needs to happen for them to get it? Uh, I'm not going to go through those three questions for all of them, but that was the impetus. Okay. Uh, because I took enough L's last episode to fill the alphabet if you replaced all the other letters with L. <laughs> the alphabet. So so I got something to prove. <laughs> so without further ado, uh, let's start off strong. What and why is Axes? It's a literary device designed only to annoy Caleb. Or... I love Axes. It didn't work. <laughs> oh, Damn. <laughs> Or, uh, just to explain the world a little more. Anyway, I think it's just, he's just like, literary device. Okay. Let's talk about Spren, basically. Um, I, th I feel like Marvel has some rule that people with god powers either don't involve themselves in important stuff or can only fight other god power people. Uh, I'm hoping Bren's on the wavelength. I think he kind of has been about that level, so, um... So the, the guy know. who just casually discusses his own immortality or, like, super longevity probably isn't actually going to tangle with our main characters. Yeah. Okay. That's, yep. I'm about on there. Um, who's on Seth's list? We got six high princes. One of them better fucking be Sadius. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> we got a Salade Jaron Tark. Uh, adjective noun. And we've got the King of Yaakoved. That'd be King Hanavanar. Thanks, Shalam. Uh, of those, I think, I feel like the first one to die, if if Zeth has his choice of, like, who am I going <laughs> to... Oh, I've got this great menu of things I really want to do. Which one do I start with? <laughs> um, I feel like uh, King Hanavanar might be killed. Um, and I feel like that'd be super fucking convenient for the Shalan family. So uh, maybe that'll happen. Well, he's the first. Be interesting. Um, because I've never heard of him but until the section. I literally didn't know that Yaakovet was a monarchy. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, the fuck did Shalan draw? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we're going to find out, and it'll impact future books. Uh, it's either going to be like Adonalsium, and that presumably matters later, or like Gunpowder in Caves, and that it will never matter at any point ever. Um, yeah, what was with that, Brandon? <laughs> Brandon. Uh, but I think the point is, I don't think it matters yet. But okay. it will. Um, now, the meat and potatoes. Let's do it. Uh, something's going to happen that's going to get Shalan over that hump of will I or won't I about the Soulcaster. Um, right now she's hesitant to do it, possibly because she's the only member of her family who's not a horrible gremlin. Um, there's obviously a part of her that, if nothing else, needs a nudge. Um, clearly some hope is in her heart that Yasna could help without theft. Um, I think she is going to steal it. 
I think she's gonna do it well. Yasna's taking a bath, which you, uh, it's, well, okay. She she wants it for sexy reasons, but it's weird to give people baths if it's not for sexy reasons. So, capable adults should not be bathing capable adults unless it's to get their jollies. It's weird. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think the bath will be shortly after Yasna does something horrible and unforgivable. Um, because Alethi nobility are fundamentally shitbirds. Um, and as we all know, uh, birds of a shit feather flock together. Famous. So, famous line. Uh, so Shalan will go, wow, fuck this lady and snatch it. Um, speaking of birds of a shit feather, uh, I don't think Shalan's totally clean. Shalan. God damn it. I'm going to get that down. I'm going to I'm gonna say her name right next episode, listener. You mark my words. Putting this as a prediction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another prediction. I will pronounce Shalan's name as the hive mind has accepted it. Um, I think she's got some skeletons in her closet that make her unlikable because she's remarkably likable compared to the rest of her family. Um, as I said, birds of a shit feather. Um, anyway, uh, I wrote this. I don't know what I mean by it, but I know that I mean it. Maybe Shalan, maybe Shalan's whole extended arc is just what if Biff from Death of a Salesman discovered who he was? My God, the world would tremble. <laughs> the world would tremble. Conviction. At a at a self-fulfilled Biff. Uh, also, King T heel turn. I don't know when. Stay tuned. I don't even know what it's going to entail, but he's going to fulfill the legacy of James Hong. Um. It, also, it would be weird if he keeps getting brought up and he's just going to be like Mayor T and that's it. Like, hey, I'm kind of a weird guy. Well, not weird. I'm nice. I'm I'm nice enough. I'm not weird like a lefty nobility and that makes me weird in turn. So, he, he's going to do something. Just to clarify, is the legacy of James Hong that his characters are secretly evil? Uh, he's pretty evil in Little Big Trouble in Little China. He is, yeah, he is in that. You're not wrong. He does play Kung Fu Panda's dad, though. Yeah. Um, oh, and I got one more. Okay. About our, our man, Kaladin. Kaladin. Which is apparently how some people pronounce it, which, sorry guys, that one's wrong. <laughs> that one's wrong. <laughs> uh, so, uh, continuing from my cal high storm thing that i threw out last mm -hmm. episode um i think i mentioned this he's clearly tapping his spheres that's why they become done in his pocket and why he evades arrows at the front and I, that one's a latch on from caleb i i didn't catch that but he's definitely avoided some certain death there um spheres are charged in high storms when you leave them out you know what else could be charged in high storms? A thing that can channel high storm energy, maybe. Uh, like a person. I don't know. Uh, Lamoril's gonna hate Cal's new idea. It's gonna do something terrible for uh, Lamoril's bottom line. And that's probably gonna be what results in the Strungen. The Stringlin. Um, so anyway, uh, he's gonna get strung up in a high storm and get some kind of zethy power i'm imagining that nobody has heard of because nobody heard of zeth's power when he showed his stuff 
Um, so it'll be like, just like Zeth, but somehow a different kind of angst. This is boring, but fine, I guess. Uh, I just imagine that's probably where we're going from the very short term from here, probably by the end of this section. Um, and after he gets his magic-y, high-stormy, whatever, majiggies, um, what's he going to use it for? I'd really like it if he'd kill all the Alethi nobility. That'd be great. But it's probably not going to happen. Categorically. Categor not individually. Categorically. <laughs> um, so he's either going to use it to d smash the goddamn Alethi patriarchy or to swiftly defeat the Parshendi. Um, either way, if this war continues to be skirmishes, I'm going to tear my hair out. So hopefully that stops. Um, and doing a quick scroll, it looks like that's it for my addled, crazy ramble. Thank you. Okay, I have uh, I have taken some notes, and we will uh, we'll get to see what uh, what transpires from here. Okay, uh, with that all set, then we will also turn to Caleb to see what the new section has in store from you. Sure. Um, this is going to be an ascending order of how interesting I think each individual thing is, and that's the only uh, organization to any of this. Um, one thing I want to bring up is an important thing while I was brainstorming what do I post on the Instagram this week, um, which is the Earless Jacks theory that I've, I, I am now fully on board with, um, <laughs> which is, we noted last time, it seems like Brandon had a typo and accidentally misspelled Earless Jacks J-A-K-S as Earless Jacks J-A-C-K-S. However, I would posit, perhaps, there are two separate people named Earless Jacks in the Bridge 4 crew, and that's why <laughs> they're both mentioned and both spellings of the name are used. Um, not backing down from that until it's explicitly disproven, because Brandon has never made a mistake, just like the Lord Ruler. Uh, okay, next one. The the very last chapter is called Darkness Unseen, and it seems like that as that title, as well as several specific things, are meant to focus on Gaz's eye. Um, and there's a very specific moment that passes very quickly when he's talking to Kaladin, um, where he asks, has something moved in the darkness? And I don't know how or why or how it's going to be relevant, but it'd be really interesting if like Gaz's dead eye can somehow catch some sort of glimpse of sill uh, that, that's that's just a cool interesting weird thing um so i don't know if that's going to go anywhere um next up it's a theory that i'm very excited for but it's been brought up before so i'm just going to quickly bring up what what gets added to the theory this time um they talk a little bit about like well why would the parshendi sign the treaty and then assassinate uh, the king and i think if the radiance were in charge this is the this is the spoiler the radiance might be the parshendi theory um the radiance were in charge of waging war in order to defend others and might have become the parshendi and now the alethi are like yeah we're carrying on what the radiance used to do um but we're all at peace now and if the parshendi got corrupted and turned evil but they used to be the radiance i could see them going well let's see how the alethi can actually handle war and so they just purposefully did the most unequivocal, no questions asked, hey, you should go to war with us right now, um, thing that they could possibly do of 
hey, we're pretending to be friends, and then we're going to very publicly, everyone knows it and saw it, send someone to kill your king. That's That that feels like, hey, the only reason we did any of this is so that you would go to war with us. Um, so, you know, that if the Radiants were in charge of war back before the Alethi were, that would, you know, sort of tie into the motivation there. Still don't get exactly the details, but it's it feels like the dots might connect there. Um, there's no spread in Shinovar. What's going on there? Um, there's also no high storms in Shinovar because the mountains block it. Which makes me think maybe the spren are directly tied to Stormlight. And then, connecting further dots, that's why Syl is so weird because she's hanging out with Kaladin so much and we're pretty sure that Kaladin is using Stormlight in some way um and also we learned from Axius that some people feel drained after the Selichus thing shows up um so maybe this feels like such like a a bad evil word I just don't have a better word for it but I feel like the the Spren basically leech Stormlight off of people you know, maybe it's like midichlorians. Maybe everybody has just a little bit. And so that's why people in um, the people watching the water goddess or whatever all feel it is like what a little stormlight they have does get taken out of them. But magic people have a ton of it. And Sill is kind of uh, 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 absorbing some of that. And that's why Sill is able to um, do things that other Spren can't is because she's spending so much time with a magic stormlight man. Um, so... Uh, yeah, Spren are directly tied to Stormlight is the big thing there. Um, in terms of who has, who's, who's gotten their hands on Zeth, um, is a very interesting question. Um, the, the guy does mention high light-eyed ladies, which I feel like implies that they're either Alethi or Vedan, because I feel like most people in like the most people we've seen from the western side of Roshar don't care that much about light eyes and dark eyes. I'm sure it's like relevant, but the people who are obsessed with it are Alethi and and Vedin. So I feel like that's probably a tip that the the guy who's talking to Zeth is Alethi or Vedin. It's probably someone we've never met. Um so it's probably also no one we know except maybe Amaram because we know pretty much nothing about Amaram aside from he is an Alethi Bright Lord and Kaladin hates him. Um, and then so it's either it's either someone we don't know or it's Amaram or it is a representative of this Three Diamonds organization that we've now heard about. Um, who actually yeah we'll get back to that in a second. Um, what's with these epigraphs? Uh, first, first one, um, I read and I thought right away, and this is the theory, I didn't change my mind on this, um, I thought right away, these might be Yasna's notes, um, cause it's looking through books and then taking notes on the things you found. Um, that first epigraph sounds like it might be talking about the Voidbringers. And then the second one, uh, confirms that it's someone looking into the Voidbringers. And we know she was talking to Dalinar about the Voidbringers. Um, so I just have in my notes in all caps, yes, queen, connect the dots. Um, cause I think Yasna is going to be basically the one in charge of actually figuring out what the, what the capital P plot of the Stormlight Archive series is. Um, and it seems like she might be slowly doing it right now. And that's what the epigraphs are for part three. 
Um, my last note, I don't. It doesn't really affect the plot in any way, but it was the most exciting discovery I made. Um, because Justin, you made a comment earlier, and I don't know if it was facetious or not, but you mentioned, yeah, there's that weird logo. I don't know when we're ever going to see it, and I'm pretty sure we've seen it. And I'm pretty sure we've seen it dozens of times. And I didn't make this discovery until the very last uh, possible second I could while doing this reading. But on por page 478, what happens at like the 90, 95% mark of that page? There's a paragraph break. And right in the middle of that is three diamonds. So what's going on with that? What? what that's been there the whole time? Anyways, again, that doesn't really affect the plot all that much, aside from making me way more paranoid about these three diamond guys, because I feel like the implication from Brandon is that they're everywhere, they've been watching the whole time. Like, it's, it was kind of a, you know, not directly tied to the plot in the same way of the Well of Ascension uh, epigraph discovery, but got a little bit of chills of like, oh, shit, that's been there the entire time. That is very off-putting, and I don't like that. But I do like it, because it's cool. Um, so... Yeah, these three diamond guys. I'm. I, what's what's going on with them? What what are, you, what are you up to? And why are you at every single paragraph break in the entire book? Spooky. As you were finishing up that uh, that theory, I was waiting to see if you were going to make a dramatic statement on how you think you thought you'd solved it, or if it was going to be. So what the hell is going on? <laughs> Mostly the second one. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, we have uh, we have a range of I think timelines to look for from from Sam and Caleb's predictions on some things that hopefully we're going to see soon from from Kaladin and or Shallan. Uh, we've got some things that may not be till much later this book or even future books, uh, and uh, at least some stuff that I am uh, looking forward to in the near future. So we'll uh, we'll have to get to that. With our predictions all set, I can start going over the things that uh, that end the episode, like uh, what's coming up next. We are kind of back into the swing of things. The chapters are some of them are are uh, smaller this time around, so we're going to do five chapters here, thirty one through thirty five, uh, which is actually a smaller section than what we just did, but. Uh, we're going to make some some good progress, I think, with both of our, our named characters here. Once we have read those and recorded more and I've edited it and all those things, then you'll be able to find it on alwaysanotherpodcast.com, as well as all of our back catalog if you missed anything. You can send us an email at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com if you want to talk about future Cosmere stuff. I just got a, a, a note on... Uh, one of the early predi earlier predictions from uh, the last couple of episodes someone was was very impressed by. So there's at least one prediction in the last like 20 things that the two of you have named that was a good one. Great. Yep, you're okay. welcome. Uh, we also have our Twitter at always another pod, our Instagram at always another pod. And our Mastodon at alwaysanotherpod at kind.social. Those will fill in the gaps between the episodes, give you some, some fun things to look at there. But other than that, uh, we can uh, start part three 
and see how little of it gets interrupted by the actual Alethi nobility as we follow Kaladin <laughs> and Shalon. Yay. Sam, you told us that you wrote a one-liner and you didn't remember what you meant by it. What was what was that? Uh, was it the fifth one? It was the fifth one. <laughs> ah! Hey, big ups to Arthur Miller. Big ups to Arthur Miller! <laughs> In a way, they're all my son.